0: Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Lord, we do thank you for this special time of year that we're entering into, for next Sunday, for Palm Sunday, when we'll be celebrating the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. Yes, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. but the one who came riding on a donkey, the suffering servant. And we ask, O Holy Spirit, that as we recount and recall as Christians the events of Holy Week and of Easter, that we really would enter into a fresh and journey with you, Lord Jesus, through these holy and sacred days, and that in a new and deeper way, our knowledge and our appreciation of what it meant, Lord Jesus, for you to set your face to Jerusalem and to journey to Calvary, what that meant, not just for you, but what that means for the salvation of the world. And so we do commend to you these Easter services next Sunday and the events following on from that. We thank you we can join together as a church family. We do pray for next Sunday afternoon and tea time. There would indeed be that spirit of being together in Jesus Christ, be able to enjoy each other's company, and be able to view through this film powerfully the one who comes, the line of the tribe of Judah, who comes to rescue our people from dark death's domain. We do pray for this coming Friday, and for the craft afternoon at the David Milne Centre. We thank you for Janet and Carl and a whole host of other folks, along with Karen, who have organised that day. We thank you for the good response already that they're picking up from families, and as it goes out onto social media, again, we pray for that, that there's been an opportunity to serve our community, to bless it, and to build and to develop the relationships with folks within our village here. We ask your blessing upon that time. And that it all goes smoothly and there'll be no hiccups and no problems, that you'll be very much in that atmosphere of creating things as we thank you that you're the God who is the great creator himself. And so come, Lord Jesus, the one who spoke and even the wind and the waves obeyed. Speak in the stillness while we wait on you and hush our hearts to listen in expectancy for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know, one of the great things about the Bible, one of the arguments that would support the veracity of the Bible as a record of God's dealings with people, of His revelation to the world, is that unlike so much of the fake news and the spin that is unfortunately so common in the media today, the Bible is honest, indeed at times painfully honest, about some of the great characters that appear in the Bible we've mentioned in the past, and we mention again, Abraham, the great father of the Jewish people, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Well, I tell you, if there was ever a dysfunctional family, generationally so, well, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would be part of that dysfunctional family. Abraham, what does he do? Well, he passes his wife off as his sister twice um, to, to other people because he's terrified for his own safety. doesn't it matter, and, you know, you can, you, can be, you can be sold as a slave and taken off by Pharaoh. As long as I'm safe, it's okay, you know. Um, he doubts God's promises that God would bless him with a child and brings in the, the, the non-Jewish, in a sense, woman in and, well, has a child through her and messes up big time God's promises and indeed God's purposes in the world. The Islamic people, that's why they claim to be the true religion, because they're descended, their faith is descended from Ishmael, not the child of the promise, but they claim that's why they hate the Jews so much. And so, he messes up big time. Isaac shows favoritism and all sorts of problems, and Jacob and his brother. All sorts of issues developed there. And Jacob, well, he was a bit of a chancer. And also a bit of a character with the ladies. And his own family, in turn, were a bit of a disaster. And yet the Bible reveals all of that. And then there's David, a man supposedly after God's own heart. And it was, and he is. But he was a randy so-and-so. And And couldn't you keep him self, you know? And so, while the army that he's supposed to command is out into battle, fighting God's enemies and the enemies of Israel, he's sunning himself on top of the royal palace and feeling a wee bit frisky because it's springtime, and notices the lady, the wife, of the commander-in-chief of his armed forces probably also sunning herself on the veranda over another block. And, well, you know the rest of the story. And the Bible, when it comes to the New Testament, also reveals real people and real lives. And one of the characters that reveals in some ways most painfully, honestly, is the character of Peter. And Peter himself, and if you want to turn in your Bibles now to Mark's gospel, Peter himself is not slow, or at least he's not tempted to airbrush out his problems, because Mark's Gospel we believe and study biblical scholars believe is written by Mark John Mark but was written at the dictation and really inspired by the stories that Peter recounted towards the end of his life of his time spent with Jesus and Peter his role in the founding of the church, Jesus says, you shall be called Peter, the rock, because upon you the church will be built. But Peter's also seen as somebody who certainly had, like all of us, his downside as well as his upside. So, let's read part of that insight into who Peter is as we turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark being the earliest of the Gospels, and we've said this again before, but it's good to remind ourselves, Mark's really written as a kind of tract, really emphasizing the action and the power and activity of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, in His public ministry on earth. So, things move on at quite a pace. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 22 of Mark chapter 8. Jesus and the disciples came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, that look like trees walking around. Once more Jesus put his hands in the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, or you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. I think that must have been one of the quickest turn rounds in human history. One minute Peter gives the right answer. You can imagine maybe when you were at school. And you I wasn't, I was always in the third division of primary school. That's why they gave up and think these divisions. There was primary one, and that was all the kinakinis, of and half of them went to Hutchinson's grammar school. So they were all the kind of and then there was primary two, and then there was primary three, and then there was primary four. And when I moved from my primary school in in Canvas land Cairns, which for its day probably was quite progressive, we sat around tables and it was all very kind of modern. And I went to that archaic institution that was Burnside Primary. Uh, I hope there's nobody left listening to this that came from that school, but never mind, it was. Uh, I've told you before where we used to get writing with an inkwell, you know, and a nib and all this sort of stuff. You know, they are just throwing the slates and the chalk out the year before, you know. Uh, I'm afraid it took me a wee while to come to terms with that, so I was in primary, I remember once I got promoted to the top of primary two, and I couldn't wait to get home at lunchtime and tell my mum that I was at top of primary, not primary two, but division two, only to find that there had been a mistake, <laughs> and I was relegated back to the third division, oh, don't you feel for me, there, 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 yes, yes, still marks me, still marks me, yes, anyway, anyway, you're sitting there, and you're desperate to get a right answer in. You know. And so, you stick your paw up. But I tell you, the ones who are going to and good and hutch you, they, they always get the right answers, you see. And so, you just have to kind of wait for your turn. And you give the right answer. You get the sum right or the whatever it is. And then you think, well, you're on a row here. Let's go for it. And the next question's asked. And you stick your paw up again. And the teacher, everybody thinks, oh, poor souls. We have a, you know, let's give him a chance. And you go, ha! And she just looks at you and you think, your day of fame and glory has passed. Before you know it, you'll be at the bottom of the fourth division, you know. You'll be in the cupboard doing the chalk or something like this, you know. Well, Peter, poor man. Who do people say that I am? Well, what's the talk in the street? Well, some people, the disciples say, some people say that you're, you're John the Baptist, you know. You're, you're, you're a reincarnation of the prophet. Other people say that you're Elijah, the great prophet of Israel who, you remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal and all the rest of it? Well, you're Elijah, come back, because it does say somewhere in the Old Testament, well, we don't call it the Old Testament, you know what I mean, it says somewhere that in the last great days, Elijah will return, actually says in the book of the prophet Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. So, some say that you're Elijah, stirring it up, you're going to sort things out, and still others, well, they're not very sure, they're keeping their options open, you're one of the prophets. all dead people By this time john the baptist Salome's had her head i had his head but what about you who do you say am i somebody locked in the past and peter says no you're the messiah You're the anointed one of God. You're the one that the prophets foretold and spoke of. You're the one that God said he would come, and he would, through this last great servant of God, he would write his law into their hearts. He would shepherd the people himself with personal care and intimacy he would take frail flesh and be born of a virgin and be called Emmanuel. He would be the one, in Isaiah 53, he would be the one who's the suffering servant. You are the Messiah. Full marks. Notice Jesus doesn't deny that statement. He doesn't disown that claim. He simply warns them not to tell anyone about him at that point but then how quickly things change, how quickly Peter's lack of knowledge and understanding of what that phrase might mean is revealed as Jesus speaks of what it means for this Messiah, this Son of Man, this Son of God, to be that ultimate servant of God he must journey to Jerusalem, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. And he speaks plainly about this. And you can imagine the group dynamics of the team. Peter's already got the the name of being the person who speaks up and is kind of one of the leaders. After all, right at the beginning of the gospel, Jesus goes to Peter's mother-in-law and has tea with her. And before she even gets the kettle out of the kitchen, she takes out and keels over and Jesus has to come and revive her so he can get his dinner. Peter's obviously one of the leading disciples. He's spoken up. He's put his hand up and he's given the right answer. But no way, Jesus, no way, Rabbi, can we have you going down that road. The road of rejection. The road of suffering. The road of death. He doesn't even understand the resurrection. publicly, in front of the rest, and my teacher would, well certainly nowadays would never do this, publicly in front of the rest of the class, he rebukes Peter and tells him, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How much has Peter got it wrong? How great is the lack of, of understanding how deep is the failure of comprehension and yet if you keep your finger mark 8, and move on in your Bibles well on to the first letter of Peter we passed Hebrews you get to Hebrews you're nearly there and then James and then first Peter And listen to what Peter, years later, writes to Christians. The Peter who got it so right, and the Peter who got it so wrong. First Peter, try and find it in your Bibles. Look up the note, no problem, look up your index. The minister's even got ones with wee tabs on it to tell tell them where the pages are, so don't worry about that. 1 Peter chapter 1 in these verses, praise be, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us you birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power and to the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they're not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. You see, my friends, Peter did catch a glimpse on that road? on those dusty roads, as he saw the lame walk, as he saw the blind man of Bethesda see, as he was going to see the dead raised and the sick made whole, Peter did see a glimpse of the glory of the Messiah, God's anointed one, the one who would come down and take frail flesh and enter into the reality of human life and suffering. He saw a glimpse, as through a glass darkly. And another side of Easter Sunday when Jesus walked with Peter at the seashore and said to Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter responded, going through, in a sense, re-going through those three times when only days before he had denied even knowing Jesus as Jesus took him through that restoration process, that healing process. His eyes were opened. And he saw that great mercy that God has achieved through Jesus Christ. That great mercy who has given us you birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His eyes were opened. His heart was transformed. His mind was engaged. And now he you fully as much as we can this side of eternity, who Jesus really is. And that was only possible because as Jesus did journey to Jerusalem, faced the rejection of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and was killed And after three days, rose again. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, you know, that in many ways the gospel is foolishness to those who have it all worked out as to how we might get right with God. It's nonsense. God who suffers, a God who dies, a God who takes frail flesh, the cross being a symbol of a triumphant faith. That's nonsense to the skeptic, to the philosopher, to the one who's so assured of their own righteousness that God actually will be doing himself a favor by allowing them to come into his kingdom. That's foolishness, not nonsense. But those who are seeking and searching is the very wisdom of God and the power of God to salvation. And Peter had to learn that lesson for himself. O Lord, your tenderness, melting all my bitterness, O Lord, I receive your love. Let's stand and sing this through together. Let's move on in our dipping into the story of Peter to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke places this story, this story of the transfiguration falling on from Peter saying that you are, in response to the question, who do you say that I am from Jesus, that you are God's Messiah. We read about eight days, verse 28 of Luke chapter 9, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept them to them, kept this to themselves, and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. I was on a, a summer mission team. I think actually Elizabeth was there as well. It was that long ago; I can hardly remember. And we were based in a church, actually, up in Oban, up that direction, Connell Ferry. And, and it was a team of people from the congregation were helping out, and they were doing the food for us in the church hall, and were helping out practically running the, the children's club and everything else. And there was one lady, an older lady, who was very enthusiastic and threw herself into things and worked away in the kitchen, cleaned the toilets, and ran after us and made sure we were all gay. Okay. And she was just one of the, the older ladies in the congregation. And then towards the end of the week, we were told that we had an invitation to go out to one of the local gentry. This lady's house that we were going to go to was um, the, she was a a lady, Nelson, Nelson the book publisher, people, obviously by that time they've been taken over by other people, but we were going to go out to her house. And so we went out to her house, to this woman's house, and it was all very good to be very fresh. I think it's the first time ever I had fresh salmon. Up to there it was tinned salmon, you know. Um, but it was fresh salmon from the river and all the rest of it. And Lady Nelson appeared. And of course, she was the wee buddy who had been doing the cooking, cleaning the floor, making sure the toilets were okay, and running after us during the past week but we saw her there in her baronial mansion, somewhat faded, we'd have to say, but baronial mansion with all her glory, her perils and her twin set and everything else. We saw her both as she was in all her wealth, but also as she was as a servant and as a worker in the church. Disciples, Had that insight. Notice it was Peter, James, and John, the kind of three innermost disciples who are gathered on that mountain and were told that they were very sleepy. I think it must, as a hint to us, that actually sometimes Peter, James, and John did go with Jesus while Jesus prayed. Many times Jesus went privately to pray, but obviously I think the suggestion is that there were times when James and Peter and John were with Jesus and they were used to this and they were getting a bit dozy. And suddenly, the clouds opened. Suddenly, they saw a glimpse of Jesus Christ in his glory. The glory revealed to us in the book of Revelation with the brilliance of his majesty, with his robe shining brighter than the noonday sun, with all the majesty of the eternal word that has taken frail flesh. And Luke, who's beside Jesus, two men were told, Moses, and Elijah, Moses, the great giver of the law, Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, these two servants of God, and look what we're told. They spoke about the departure of Jesus Christ, or literally the word, the exodus of Jesus Christ, which he was about to bring in to fulfillment at Jerusalem. They spoke of that great act of deliverance, the same word that was used to describe God's deliverance of his people from Israel, from Egypt rather, from bondage to the land of promise, that same word is used to describe what Jesus Christ is going to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. A glimpse of the great purposes of God, of how from the very dawn of time he had planned to send forth one who would crush the serpent's head. What does Peter say? Bless him. Just opens his mouth and lets his belly rumble, doesn't he? Let's set up three wee tents here. I'll go down to Halfords, you know, and get them and bring them up. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That'll be nice. Even Luke says he was speaking. He didn't know what he was doing. And yet keep your finger there and again flick on to Peter. This time not the first letter of Peter, but the second letter of Peter. Peter here, towards the end of his life, writing to the church that's increasingly facing persecution without, but also within itself, as it has from the very earliest of days, suffering problems with it about the authority of the Bible and about whether the stories of Jesus could be taken at face value. Look what Peter says in this last statement, test me from him, verse 16 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven, when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Here is Peter recalling that day when he opened his mouth and just spoke, you know. And yet now, as he's journeyed with Jesus, as he's seen what the cross meant, as he stood at that empty tomb, as he's been involved and restored by Jesus on that walk beside the Sea of Galilee, as Peter, the rock upon which the church was built, can testify on that mountain top we saw the glory of the eternal god and the voice from heaven saying this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased and therefore he can say in verse 19 we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. That confidence, that conviction, that certainty that what God has done in Christ, promised, pointed to by the lawgivers and by the prophets of Israel, found its fulfillment in the servant king. Jesus, the very thought of thee, With sweetness fills my breast, but sweeter far thy face to see, and in thy presence rest. And we'll stand to see. Please be seated, and just very briefly, as we look lastly at the story of the washing of the disciples' feet, just to turn briefly to John's Gospel, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and they had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. said simon peter not just my feet but my hands and my head as well we had the fifth and sixth years in uh, the church just last week the week before for their easter event it's not really a service we don't invite them to sing anything or to respond in that kind of way that wouldn't be appropriate but we had them together, and I have to say, a little bit less than Christmas. There was one or two even I saw when they got to the top of the steps, disappeared down the other side of the steps, away um, down the street. There was, there was maybe a bit less than we had at Christmas, but still, this, this part of the church was well. And we, were, we had a, we had a, a silly game, um, hunt the Easter egg. And we got two teams to come out and hunt the Easter egg. And that itself was a, 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 an object lesson because, of course, being in this building for a good number of years, I kind of work out what I mean with, you know, when I give a clue as to a kind of upright heat, do you think they would look at, you know, the upright rate at the Bible? Oh, no, 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 no. He was away doing that corner there and all the rest of it, this side. Um, when I talked about an ancient book, lying out practically on a table, and he's kind of looking around at the mission, praising whatever, never even notices the Bible sitting on over there where the other Easter egg. And it came home to me with all these clues. When it came to the organ, that was a complete mystery, you know. I think they were waiting for so somebody to sort of get beamed up like the Tardis or something, you know. And it came home to me that all these bits like church furnishings that obviously, why, and you are familiar with, are a complete mystery to people who don't normally go to church. So that was a good object lesson. I made the point that for Christians and people inside the church, Easter, we kind of going know the story. But for the vast majority of people, well, it must be something, maybe it has to do with Jesus somehow, and he kind of dies, but, you know, it's really a holiday, and we get Easter eggs. And then I was looking for a volunteer to come and have his feet washed. Well, can you imagine? That caused a good bit of, you know. And there was a lad just sitting, just beside where John's sitting, a lad sitting there, and I saw him, and I thought, right, he's going to be my victim. Uh, and... <laughs> Quite a few have been evicted. I remember Ken. You got your feet washed once. Bless you, brother. The settlement were needing it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I know Ken quite well, so that's okay. Yeah. Anyway, I got young Nathan to come out. Remember, was the name. I didn't know that was his name. Nathan to come out, and and I told him that he was going to get his feet washed. And we had a bit of a banter about that. When was the last time you had a bath? A oh, about fortnight ago. You know, this kind of stuff and all the rest of it. And he had fancy boots on. So we spoke about his boots. We took the boots off. I untied and put the boots off. And he had nice socks on. We spoke about his socks and they were quite fresh, thankfully. And we took them off. And he had a reasonable pair of feet. <laughs> have to commend the guy. Other guys were just, a no way, you know. But he played along. Don't know whether he was a BB boy or somebody. He seemed to have maybe some idea where the story was going. And there was all the banter and the jokes and the folk, you know. But then when we actually began to wash his feet, quietness came down. And then after washing his feet, I took, don't drink that juice by the way, it's been there for a fortnight. (laughs) Uh, I took that roll and I said, you know, the Jesus who washed the feet is Jesus. And I took the bread and I broke it and said, take, eat, for this is my body broken for you. And I took the cup and said, take, drink, for this is the blood of God you deal with mankind, or humankind, I've said humankind, not mankind. I said, because the Jesus who's at heart of Easter is the one who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life in order that men and women might know God. And Nathan was sitting there with his feet, his bare feet, and listened. Pray for him. I think he stays in Kel Park. (laughs) And pray that eyes would be opened to the one who took off his outer garment. And actually, the Gospels might suggest that he actually took his loincloth. And used it to dry the feet of his disciples. That's something that should have been kept and explained that to the kids. That's something that a servant should have been done. That's one of the lowest and most menial tasks. The the horse certainly wouldn't, the, the guest of honor wouldn't even deign to do it, and yet Jesus Christ, the one whose glory was revealed on the mountain transfiguration, the one that the prophets and the lawgiver spoke of and pointed to, he is the one who strips off his clothes and in humility kneels down, and I can tell you those disciples' feet wouldn't have been a pretty sight, and we're certainly, Nathan's feet were a heck of a lot cleaner than they were. And yet, this is the God who came to seek and to save the lost. This is the God who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Peter, with all his pride, with all his awkwardness, with all his embarrassment that he was being served by Jesus, would have to be broken. Three times he would have to say, I don't know about this Jesus. And eventually, again, the Bible would suggest he told the people to, using strong language, to get off. And then he heard the cock crow. And he remembered what Jesus said. And the gospel writers tell us that he wept bitterly. Who is this Jesus? He's the Lord of glory. He's the one who speaks and the wind and the waves obey. He's the one robed in majesty and might. He's the one who's disrobed and in almost nakedness serves. His people. He's the one. His body was broken. And whose blood was shed. And he's the one. The Peter you and loved so well. Let's pray together. Lord, so often we can be like Peter, our pride, our stubbornness, our desire to get things right, and our recognition how often we get things so wrong. Lord, like Peter, we come to you today. We feel humbled by your mercy. We are broken before your example. We are made aware of our shame and our sin as we gaze at your purity and majesty. And we say sorry. we lay aside our pomp and our show. And like Peter, we say that we love you and we want to follow you. And so, Holy Spirit, as we continue to journey into these days where the Lord of glory did indeed become the suffering servant, when the one that Moses and the prophets spoke about, about was rejected by the chief priests and the teachers of the law, was whipped and scourged, was crucified and died. O Holy Spirit, do that work of grace in our lives that you did within the life of your servant, Peter, For your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.